Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps Peepers, Robert Zanavels. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. I was mocking you. I saw you. Welcome. <laughs> uh, I got a couple couple quick announcements, and then we're into a, a fun show. Okay, I'm excited for your announcements, because I know what's about to happen. Uh, in the store at badmagicmerch.com right now is a bunch of stuff all related to this summer's wet, hot, bad magic summer camp. This August, 19 through 21, uh, general admission tickets still available, and there's a whole variety of items. You can get hats, flip-flops, t-shirts, tank tops, a backpack, and more, all limited edition. Order by mid-July to make sure you have it in time for camp. And Lindsay is showing the backpack oh now God. for our YouTube watchers. It's so cute. I it's love so it cute. so much. Back, 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 back. That's for all the parents who had to watch Dora. I love this backpack. I used it when we were in Missoula. I think it's so oh, yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. We hope to see you guys there. General admission. I know people are bummed that they didn't get the VIPs, but... You get so much with a general admission. We'll you still get so much, and you get to hang out we're, with we're us. Gonna, we're going to be most, hanging out with you. That's the most yeah. important part. You get to be our friends. Now yep. I'm going to whip this across no, the room. There's no velvet ropes. Oh, dang there's it. No, there's no bottle service. No. Separation. There's, there's a few vip only things but you'll be fine yeah yep 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 um and then you have our uh donation amount I, you said we for finally charity. do mm-hmm. yeah so um just totally excited to share with you guys the halo dental network our donation to halo will be fourteen thousand three hundred dollars with another sixteen hundred being set aside for the cummins family scholarship uh more info on the scholarship coming in a few months so just hang tight on that The Halo Dental Network was founded by Dr. Brady Smith, and it's a coalition of dental professionals who provide donated services to those in need of dental services that can't afford it. So things like veneers, implants, fillings, crowns. And if you want to learn more about the incredible work that they're doing, it's just so cool because your smile, that first impression is just so important. And it Mm -hmm. can really build your confidence and really change your life. They have some great uh, testimonial videos on their website, which is halodentalnetwork.org. Not only can you go there to learn more about them, you can also nominate yourself or someone in your life that you know could really benefit from that. That's awesome. I love it. Uh, and and what, uh, what stories do you have for us today? Well, Dan, funny you should ask. Yeah. I have two. <laughs> two stories. I have two stories as well. No way. What are the odds? I, who'd have thunk it? Uh, my first story, we're going to explore... An animal attaching its spirit to another animal. That okay? Right? I've not heard of that before. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so That's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And I got it. I, I said that word unintentionally. What would you say? Interesting. Interesting. So now that that's every, fascinating. That's wild, cool, and interesting. I'm gonna work on different adjectives. <laughs> I need like flashcards. I need someone behind you with like you know when there's like an audience, it's like applause break. <laughs> yeah. I need words behind you. I'm gonna hang a whole list of other adjectives uh, behind us. Thesaurus. We'll just flip through it before we uh, you know describe things. <laughs> Joe Joe just starts piping into our ears that no one can hear. He's like, try this word, and then he comes <laughs> up with these weird words that make no sense. <laughs> 
yeah, so that's my first story. And then a second story, uh, exploring the idea of a mom attempting to protect her daughter from beyond the grave. Oh, that's very cool. While the daughter's okay. <laughs> while the daughter is ghost hunting, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So a very wild, cool, and interesting tale. <laughs> I'm just I'm doubling down. Oh man, I I am yeah. I'm gonna have to like put some keywords. I, I now I'm not even doing it as a joke. I'm just like oh shoot, those are my three go tos. Truly, isn't that funny? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, okay, so my my two uh, the first takes us to some folklore surrounding an Indiana cemetery. Mm, Indiana man, they're just they're always pumping out ghost mm-hmm. stories. They are yeah. Uh, just outside the town of Brazil, Indiana. Uh, can completing a ritual at the 100-step cemetery actually conjure up a, a devil of some sort who reveals to you the nature and time of your death? Hmm. Backstory and modern encounter combo for that one. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Then we travel from Brazil, Indiana, to the actual country of Brazil. Not a conscious choice when I paired these stories. Uh, perhaps some Brazilian paranormal force was guiding my hand. Been a long time uh, outside of Patreon bonus episodes since I've shared an alien abduction claim. So that'll no longer be true after today's episode, because for my second story, I shared the alleged abduction of Antonio Villas Boas, who said that when he was a young Brazilian farmer in 1957, he was first visited by UFOs on numerous occasions, then abducted, taken on board their ship for some experiments. The last time we were in Brazil, now you referenced a bonus episode. Was that the episode where it was two police officers uh, in Brazil and like somebody goes over the edge? That was in South America, oh. but not Brazil oh. or, or Central. That might even been Central. No. Okay, I lied. Now I'm confusing everyone. That was somewhere, yeah, Latin America, Cent- Central or South America. We were in Uruguay. Uruguay, like uh, uh, recently for another story. Okay. Yeah. Well, JK, oh, this is my new thing that I like to do just real quick before Dan dives in. Mm-hmm. Throw want- me a monkey wrench? No, I want to admit to my own monkey wrench. On last week's episode, <laughs> I did a story about an archaeologist on an archaeological oh, dig. Yes. And he's and it's a storm cellar or some sort of cellar. And mm-hmm. in that, I go, oh, yeah. I'm like, and I read, I have this great fan story coming up about this guy in a cellar. I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, really spooky. Really great story. And then the next day, I spent about four hours mm-hmm. digging through emails, reaching You're out super to Heather. Stressed out. I was like, I was so upset. I was near tears. I was like, what is happening mm-hmm. to my brain? I can't find this email. I'm texting Heather. She's like, God, that does sound so familiar. Oh, and she's like, I think the guy's name is this. So we're going back uh-huh. and forth. I'm getting so upset. And Dan finally says to me, what is going on with you? And so I tell him, and he just starts laughing. He goes, uh, that's the story I told about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was like, was there a guy in the corner? Did he dig up some bones? Uh, was, <laughs> Did was it lead alone? to an active investigation? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yes, oh yes, God. yes. I'm like, yeah, no, I told that. Oh, <laughs> and it's like, I, I know it's going to happen. Fans are going to write in and say mm-hmm. like, oh, we can help you keep track. Listen, we have all the documents. It's just, it all bleeds well, long, together. Yeah, the longer you do it. Oh well, and, and there's so many stories that we've looked into but haven't told. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so you have literally hundreds of stories kind of floating around mm-hmm. in the periphery. And and a lot of them are similar. Yeah, you know, just the nature of it. Sure. So there's bound to be moments of like, wait, I, th- I think that sounds very yeah. familiar. Yeah, you know? yeah. So my apologies if I teased out that story <laughs> and you thought I cannot wait to hear that wild, <laughs> cool, interesting tale. But now you can go backwards and find Dan's version, the real version. So I just wanted to say that I wanted because I know the email is going to come of like, so what was that story? You never told it. You're right. I didn't. Damn did. Well, I think that was a memorable one. And I think I have another memorable one now. Okay. I'm very excited uh, to head to Brazil, Indiana. Okay. I've got on these cool socks from a fan in Raleigh. Those are cool. Uh, yeah. They're banned books socks. So they're the names of banned books on one wow. pair and then the other one crossed out. I don't even want to get started about how banned books make me feel. <laughs> uh, yes. Let's do it, Dan. Oh, boy. Okay. A little bit of setup that includes an explanation of the ritual lore aspect uh, of this story. 
uh, the 100-step cemetery near Brazil, Indiana, just 15 or so minutes outside of Terre Haute, considered by some sources to be the most haunted cemetery in the state, known variously as the 100-step cemetery, Carpenter Cemetery, or Cloverland Cemetery. The Clay County Resting Place is a magnet for local folklore enthusiasts, ghost hunters, and history buffs. So how did it get its most famous name, 100 Steps? The cemetery itself faces uh, west on a hill overlooking North County Road 675 West. Established in the 1860s, likely directly in response to many additional graves suddenly being needed thanks to the Civil War, mourners had to climb, you guessed it, 100 steps to reach the top of the hill where they could then look out over a sea of graves. The old half-buried staircase still winds up the hill, each step a little slippier, uh, slipperier, slippery, oh my God. Slippier. Slippier. Slip, oh yeah. You know what? I misspelled it in my notes. I wrote slipper ear. Slipper ear. Slipper ear. So even, <laughs> none of those are words. Yeah, yeah. Each step a little, uh, yeah, slippier, than, l- less navigable than the last. A little bit more slippy. Slippery. A little more slippery. <laughs> more slippery. There we go. Almost as though it's trying to tell you not to keep going. Creepy going-ons have definitely happened at this location, not all of them of the paranormal variety. Back in 1892, 100 Steps Cemetery had a problem with body snatchers. Yeah. Body snatching wasn't illegal, still illegal, but common practice in many places in the 19th century. In the days before cadavers were donated on a regular basis to medical schools, so-called resurrectionists, people commonly employed by anatomists, would scour cemeteries for the recently deceased for doctors to then examine, and sometimes for darker, perverse, disturbing reasons as well. Working under the cover of darkness, they would exhume the bodies, typically secretly sell them to any number of medical establishments in central Indiana, the closest of which was Asbury College, now known as DePaul University. Mm. On November 20th, 1892, the following story was reported in the Indianapolis Journal. Brazil, Indiana, November 19. The citizens of Posey Township of this county are greatly stirred up over a ghastly discovery made at the Carpenter Cemetery, one half mile south of Cloverdale, yesterday afternoon. About two years ago, George West, a wealthy farmer of that place, buried his daughter, Miss Emma. She died of an ordinary disease, and nothing to cause any fear of her grave being molested was apprehended. Recently, Mr. West bought a lot in the cemetery and yesterday engaged assistants to help him remove his daughter's remains to the new grounds. When the coffin was reached, all present were startled to find it upside down and the corpse missing. So how upsetting. Uh, Luckily, a practice we've largely put in the past. Not the only disturbing thing to ever happen at 100 Step Cemetery. Disturbing events continue to this day. And if you're daring enough, perhaps you can be a part of them. Here's one version of the ritual associated with this place. Varies a bit from one telling to the next. At midnight under a moonless sky, you must ascend the steps, counting as you go until you reach 100. Now stop and look down the hill. The ghostly figure of the cemetery's first caretaker should appear and show you how and when you'll die. When you've seen this vision, you need to carefully walk back down, counting the steps again as you do so. At the bottom, if the number of steps is different than it was on the way up, then the vision was wrong. But if it's the same, you'll die exactly how and when the vision set. Other versions say that while you might see the figure from the top of the steps, you don't receive your death vision until you've reached the bottom. Some versions don't uh, uh, seem to think that the specter you're seeing is the original caretaker. They think it's some kind of demonic force. Uh, Also, if you try to stray off the path or throw off the number intentionally, you may feel a force knocking you back onto course or even down onto the ground. Then you'll see a red handprint on your back for seven days that some say is the mark of the devil himself. One person who had no intention of taking part in the ritual I just mentioned, any very variation of it, ended up doing so anyway after he was hired as a night guard, security guard, following some vandalism incidents. Something paranormal seems to have drawn him in. Time now for the tale of just one more step. 
Andre had been working security for just under five years when the call came in. Apparently, some teenagers had been spotted lurking around 100 Steps Cemetery, no doubt trying to figure out if the legends held any water. The lurking wasn't really much of a problem, but the caller, who identified themselves as a representative of the city government, mentioned that she'd seen some strange graffiti around as well, and that they just couldn't ignore. We probably need to restructure some of the payroll stuff to free up the money for a night guard, she said as Andre held the phone to his ear in the small office building of the private security company he worked for. But we also want to make sure this isn't just a passing thing. It is almost graduation, you know, so a bunch of kids might want to get in some last-minute thrill-seeking, pull some senior pranks, and then we won't have to worry about it anymore. In the meantime, the city government approved funding for a part-time night guard. Would any of your people be available to take the position? Andre paused. An old shoulder injury had been flaring up recently, which was why he was stuck in the office doing paperwork. He simply wouldn't be fast enough if someone decided to pull something quick at a bank or a shopping mall. But this job sounded easy. Walk around the cemetery for a while, make sure no teens were hanging out, maybe make a few phone calls to parents, and he could use the extra cash. Money was tight and he'd had to cut back all winter, no heating the house past a certain amount, instant coffee instead of beans, that sort of thing. Would be nice to have a little extra spending money again. I'll do it, he said. They made arrangements for him to come pick up the keys to the gate that afternoon. The caretaker would then show him around and he'd be on his shift from 10 p.m. until 6 the following morning. Don't get creeped out, the woman said. I know some people say that a cemetery is a strange and creepy place, but I like to think of it as historical. It's like a museum where you just get to read the plaques but not, thank God, have to see the exhibits. And with that, she gave her uh, a little laugh and hung up. Andre frowned. He hadn't been thinking of the cemetery as creepy until she'd mentioned it. He'd only been thinking of it as uh, extra dollars in his pocket. But now something told him that the woman uh, was surprised that someone had been so quick to volunteer. Should he be creeped out? He'd passed by the cemetery countless times in his truck. It always did seem a, a little bit spooky. Kind of surreal, actually. Maybe it was the picture-perfect grass or the washed-out tombstones or the fact that it was always empty. But it didn't look totally real. It felt like you were looking through a window and seeing a painting of a cemetery on a wall instead of looking at an actual cemetery. Those steps in particular, climbing high above the gravestones to a dizzying, dizzying precipice, they felt so out of place. Andre wondered if he'd made a mistake. But then he looked at the frame cuffs on his sleeves, his beat-up sneakers, and he decided to put all that out of his mind. It was a job, and he needed the extra work, period. First night of his watch was uneventful. The only thing he was scared of was the possibility of somehow getting caught sleeping. It was hard to stay up all night, at least in this place. Andre had worked night shifts before, but never somewhere this quiet. He didn't run into a single other living soul the entire shift. It was almost relaxing to walk between the graves, thinking about all the people that had lived through so much, wars and depressions, prosperity and scarce times. He didn't feel scared that first night, but the cemetery clearly got to him at least a little, because he had some strange dreams the following day. His new night, when he actually slept. Dreams about stumbling over a coffin and hearing thumping sounds coming from inside, hearing fists beating against the wood until they splintered. And then he woke up before whatever was inside could come for him. These dreams he kept slipping in and out of them were terrifying, but they were just dreams clearly the result of his new strange job. Surely he'd acclimate to it soon and his mind would calm down. He expected the second night to be the same as the first, but around three in the morning as he rounded a corner, his flashlight swept across something on the ground. Fresh footprints. He bent down to look at them. They were a bit smaller than his, probably belonged to a teenager. Strangely, they seemed to be bare footprints. That was definitely odd, but he assumed that since he hadn't seen anything or heard anyone, someone must have had uh, heard him and decided to quietly hightail it out of there, maybe taking off their shoes so they wouldn't make a sound. He hoped that was what happened anyway. 
He straightened up and was about to move on when he heard something. Just one more step. His head snapped around. So the teenager had stayed, he thought, maybe currently trying to convince a less brave friend to try and climb those steps. He fumbled for his flashlight, turned it on, swept it over the path, but didn't find anything. There was no one. The next couple of nights followed a similar pattern. Andre walked around in the quiet dark. Each night he found one or two fresh prints in the dirt and assumed, like the first time he saw them, that they belonged to some local kids. The footprints didn't scare him. He understood that messing around in the cemetery was probably just a fun thrill for local teens. More thrilling when you had to make sure the security guard wouldn't catch you. And taking extra care to not get caught, well, that would explain the bare feet. While he didn't find this scary, he did find it weird that he only ever found one or two footprints at a time that they always pointed towards the stairs. The voice he kept hearing, though, that, that was starting to get to him. That was scary. Each night, he kept hearing the words he was beginning to know so well. Just one more step. He kept trying to find the source of those words, but he never could. He tried to tell himself it was the same teens who must be leaving the footprints, but the longer this went on without him actually seeing anyone, the harder this became to believe. A couple times he thought he saw movement out of the corner of his eye, but when he turned, he'd never see more than the cut grass slowly springing back into place, some mist swirling perhaps. He was expecting more of this when he returned on the seventh night. He was starting to think that maybe what he was hearing was a ghost. Since it hadn't tried to hurt him, there was no reason to be afraid of it, was there? But he was afraid. Not a lot, but certainly a little. As the sun set that seventh night, he took his patrol around the perimeter of the cemetery, then started for the center and stopped dead in his tracks. He was expecting to see one set of footprints, maybe two, but this night, there were hundreds pressed into the dirt. One after the other stretched as far as he could see, and he heard it again. Just one more step. Now he was angry. This couldn't be a ghost, could it? He figured that someone had to have been playing a practical joke on him, having a good laugh at his expense. They'd been messing with him all week. Okay, kids, knock it off! Andre shouted into the darkness, trying to sound more self-assured than he actually felt. He wasn't allowed to carry a gun since he wasn't a trained member of law enforcement, but he did have a stun gun. But something was beginning to tell him in the back of his mind that he wasn't going to need it, or rather that it wouldn't be helpful. He raised his voice. You've had your fun! Now it's time to get out of here. Do I need to remind you that what you're doing is trespassing and that's illegal? No answer. For a brief, brief moment, Andre hoped he'd scared him off. But wouldn't there have been more footsteps? If they ran off more whispers, someone at least saying, oh shit, before they ran? Why was there only silence now? Not even the sound of grass or trees rustling? And then he saw it. Top of the hill, just for a second. A shadowy form. And then just as quickly as it appeared, it disappeared. Now Andre, even though he didn't want to admit it to himself, was more than a little scared. No teenager would have heard him and then run up the hill, opposite the way out. No one was that stupid, were they? So who or what had he just seen? Slowly he walked over to the base of the steps. They were stone half crumbled, same as always. If they existed somewhere else, Andre could have imagined children running up and down them, their laughter being swept away by a summer breeze. But here and now, hard to imagine anyone playing on them. Especially at this particular moment. In addition to being dark, it was cold. Colder than it probably should have been in May, even in the middle of the night. Andre now heard the whisper again, a little louder than before. Just one more step. He looked around like every time he'd heard it before, but this time he knew he wouldn't see any kids. He worried it had something to do with the figure he'd seen for a moment at the top of the hill. Slowly, hesitantly, he climbed the first step before pausing and looking up towards the top of the hill. The figure wasn't there. He hoped he hadn't really seen anything, but then the voice returned. Just one more step. He whipped his head around again instinctively. Of course he saw nothing. He didn't even know which direction the sound was even coming from. 
It was a bit louder that time. It was also slightly muffled, like whatever was speaking was buried under something. Then it was like his mind was a separate entity and now answered a question he hadn't even realized he'd asked. Like maybe under six feet of dirt? Stop it, he said out loud. If any kids were orchestrating all this, he was positive they would be laughing about it all for years. Andre wanted to run, to leave the cemetery, never come back, but he couldn't. I guess he could, but he wasn't going to. He wasn't going to let some kids or his imagination or whatever kept telling him to take one more step. Was he losing his shit? Scare him off a job. Might as well quit working security altogether in that case. Just one more step, he promised himself. He didn't need to go check the top of the hill right now. Just one more step, and then he'd bail on this nonsense and just walk his normal patrols, count down the minutes until six, and just go home. But then just one step turned into another, and another, and another, and another. His limbs felt like they were out of his control. Pretty soon, he was at the top of the hill, pausing with just one final step to go. His mind told him this was all silly. They were just steps. What could it hurt just to keep walking them? But his gut told him he should stop where he was. Stop while he still had the chance, his last chance, to quit. Just one more step, the voice urged. He picked up his foot, and he stepped forward. One hundred, he said aloud to no one and kind of scared himself. He was at the top, hadn't even realized he'd been keeping track of how many steps he'd taken to get there. The wind blew a little, ruffling the hair on the back of his arms. His bum shoulder throbbed, and then he thought he saw it again. The same shadowy figure, except it wasn't at the top of the hill. Now it was below. Slowly, the figure raised its head up and met his eyes. He doesn't totally remember exactly what happened next, only that he felt some kind of hands wrap around his neck, then his vision went white. He knew without knowing how he knew that he was being hunted down, chased, that something was coming to get him, something that was connected somehow to the coffin in his dream. Whatever was inside that coffin was now out, grabbing him, trying to squeeze the life from him. That something wanted him dead, wanted him to join it. The hands wrapped together around his neck tighter and tighter, and then disappeared. He opened his eyes. He was on the hill, down on the knees, on his knees in the grass, gasping for breath. And in front of him were two perfect, fresh footprints that he was sure hadn't been there before. Footsteps now facing him. And he ran. He ran down the stairs, even though he didn't want to. He could feel something making sure he didn't stray from the path as he did. And he found himself counting each step all the way down, even though he didn't want to do that. Exactly 100, same as on the way up. Then, for a fleeting moment, he saw a vision of twisted metal, blood, and broken glass. A mangled man's body behind the steering wheel of a total truck. A dead man's body. His body. Then the vision switched to a tombstone. He saw his name etched in it and also the date of his death, just over eight years from now. He snapped out of his vision, was standing at the bottom of the steps. No footprints surrounded him, no more whispering, and he finished his shift. He'd finished ten or so more shifts until the job was done. There was no more vandalism. The city decided not to turn his position into a full-time one, thank God. He didn't want to have to make that decision himself. He could still use the money, but he really didn't want to ever work in that cemetery again. The rest of his time there, Andre saw no more dark figures, no more fresh footsteps, heard no more whisperings, and that was over six years ago. In less than two years, the date he saw in his vision will come to pass. He tells himself it'll just be another day, but maybe, maybe he shouldn't drive that day. Maybe he should lock his doors and stay inside. But what if that doesn't work? What if the thing he saw in the cemetery will move his body like it did when it moved him up and down those steps? What if next time the whisper he'll hear, instead of just one more step, will be just one more mile? Just keep driving. Just a little bit farther. Yee. I would absolutely tell somebody and then say, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, don't <sighs> oh, let me out yeah. of this room. Like, I would get a hotel room. I wouldn't even be at my house. Mm-hmm. Somewhere that somebody else could control. Like... <laughs> 
Because in my mind at a hotel, it's like you give your keys to valet. Like you just don't oh, yeah. have access to your vehicle in the same kind of way. Right. Also, no Ubers that day. Mm-hmm. No lifts, no whatever. Maybe some sedatives. <laughs> I know. Knock just yourself out sleep for the day. the day away. A lot of NyQuil. Yeah. No airplanes, just like no modes of transportation. No Lime scooters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aye, aye, aye. Ooh, so different ooh. different kind of uh, story. I like that. Yeah, one. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so just two pictures. Uh, this is the first picture of the 100 Steps Cemetery. And the steps look nice in this one. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder if this is more recent because here most of the pictures look like the second one of the cemetery where it's a lot more busted up like what we just heard. Yeah. So um, Yeah, maybe they got some city funding to clean it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My I guess mean, is somebody probably fell down. There was probably a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, so weird. This, I keep getting the weirdest chill in my ears. In your ears, weird. Do you ever have that happen? I and don't then know. it like trickles and down your body. I don't know about ears. No, it's fine. Maybe it's my weird allergies. <laughs> yeah, that uh, there's well, there's, everything's in bloom right now. Ugh. So it makes sense. You've been having a uh, sleepiness, that I, that and achiness, I look like this? and well, yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, and you got up really early. But yeah, I think it did a lot of its allergies. So uh, my my allergies are giving me the ear tingles. <laughs> you, the old allergy, cold ear tingles. Oh, man. Or is something something's in there. Ah, uh, uh, that was a weird story. Mm-hmm. It was a weird story. You know what I didn't say it was. Oh, you didn't say it was um, cool, interesting, or wild. Uh-huh. Strange, odd. Peculiar. Peculiar. Fascinating. Intriguing. No. Intriguing. Unique. Mm-hmm. We're getting good at this. <laughs> uh, what did I write down? Oh, because I'm a little bit OCD, yeah. the step counting, I have this whole narrative in my head about like, or there's no spirit there and everybody's OCD. I, because <laughs> I cannot go up or down a flight of stairs without counting. Without counting the steps? Can't do it. Oh, interesting. You never told me that. Um, literally- yeah, I don't think about how many steps uh, I'm going up or down. I don't think about it. It's an it's a involuntary choice that happens in my brain. Mm-hmm. I can tell you all the step counts about all the different places. They just, I have to. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't do that. I mean, like, like everybody, I think I tap the banister three times and spin to make <laughs> sure that my mom doesn't die. But uh-huh. but other than that, I just you know. Are you mocking my OCD? <laughs> no, that's rude. <laughs> so rude. Uh, but yeah, I had I was doing. I was like, oh my god, what if there was an OCD demon, like people who are OCD? Because that's a it's a can be a yeah. very overwhelming, very debilitating thing. Mm-hmm. It's fairly common. Some levels of it are really mm-hmm. you know because obviously it varies. Yeah, some people have a mild version. Some people have yeah, like you said, debilitating version. Yeah, mine's so super mild and it's yeah. like specific to certain things. And actually, you can trace it. There's lots of connections between OCD and eating disorders, mm. which makes sense if like you really a, think like about a control it. Control thing, mm-hmm. and just like the counting, so yeah. like like that's where mine shows up. But anyways, mm-hmm. I just had this whole side vision while you were telling the story about like, okay, what if like a monster like made you like, okay, you have to do this, you have to do that, but you were really like this demon was possessing you, and everything it was forcing you to do was leading you to your death. Ooh, I know, mm. that's a good one. Uh, well, this next one, I'm glad that one spooked you because this next one, uh, unless you have more. Is going to be your greatest fear. Um, well, I'm trying to avoid it. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to dig into that story. You said it was in, this is not scary question at mm-hmm. all. You said it was in Posey Township. And I well, me- that, oh, yeah. immediately wrote down Ring Around the Rosie, pocket full of Posey. I'm like, is that where it comes from? <laughs> it's probably not. But no, it's not. Um, no, the Ring Around the Rosie thing comes from, oh man, it's been a while. I do know this, but it's just been a while. It comes from, um, some people think the plague. Uh, some people think, uh, I want to say like like they altered the lyrics, I guess, because of like some bombings in World War II. But it comes from Britain. 
Oh. It comes from Britain. But it's uh, they think it traces back to the plague. I'm 99% certain. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, people I'm... falling down uh, <laughs> dead with the, the plague. So it's, it's really dark. The origins of that one are really dark. Okay. One other question. Okay. Would you do- would you donate your body to science? When you were talking about bodies being dug up, cadavers, like before, mm-hmm. you know, there were a variety of reasons that people were... Uh, I was going to say grave, grave, grave grabbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grave robbers. <laughs> Body snatchers. Body snatchers is what I was going for, but I got grave grabbers. Um, <laughs> would you donate your body to science? Um, I haven't really thought about, I mean, I, I have that thing of like organ donor, mm-hmm. you know, like That's a car, car, but yeah, I would donate my body to science. I know. How do you do that? Mm, I don't know. Look into it. There's, there's sure no there's box a, on sure your there's a website. Yeah. There's no box on your driver's license to check. Because that's how you become an organ donor. I want to. I want to uh, donate my body to science fiction. Oh boy, to sci-fi. I want um, to be put in some kind of exoskeleton, a robotic exoskeleton, mm-hmm. and I want my body pumped full of formaldehyde or various preservatives, and then I want to be like so I can still like be like a zombie guy who gets to be walked around. Okay. And I want and I want the, one of the kids to have to keep me in their house. <laughs> Why do you always have to take it somewhere weird? <laughs> I don't know. That's where my brain's worked for a long time. Yesterday you did the weirdest thing that I thought was so funny. We went to play tennis with Kyler mm-hmm. and Kyler and Monroe got to the tennis courts first and they were just like screwing around hitting the tennis ball against the wall and Dan was like, I'm here to cheer you guys on and he just ran back and forth between the two of them. Good game, good game. <laughs> slapping them on their asses. <laughs> and I just thought like that would look so weird to anybody else watching but to our family like, okay dad. <laughs> it's like so normal. Uh... The kids like laughed but also they were like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just <laughs> then Kyler chased me and, and you know what and I I was a little faster yesterday was he, couldn't, he couldn't get me back had some moves you always gotta take it someplace strange mm. I've, I value that about you okay good alright I think I've put it off long enough take me to the aliens <laughs> okay but your greatest fear <laughs> I was really trying well yeah what if aliens not only abducted you but experimented on you well what else do you think they do with you of course and, that's why it's scary and in this story had sex with you the first alien abduction story we've explored here for quite some time Right after the break. Alien sex. Here we go. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, not much setup at all for this one. We're, we're going to get into the meat of the story pretty quick. Uh, Antonio Villas Boas was a Brazilian farmer, uh, later a lawyer, who also, it seems, the first man, uh, who was also, it seems, the first man of the modern age to claim that he'd been abducted by aliens. Boas uh, claimed he was abducted one night in 1957, and he would stick with his abduction story all the way until his death in 1991. Well, that's commitment. Hmm? Swearing that he was experimented on by strange humanoid creatures who came from the sky. Time now for the tale of the extraterrestrial breeding program. Something strange was happening in the days leading up to Antonio's abduction. Just before midnight on October 5th, 1957, the 23-year-old living near the little town of Sao Francisco de Salas in southern Brazil opened one of his windows to let in some fresh air. And he saw a strange white light in the sky. Eventually thinking perhaps it was just some stars shining especially bright that night, Antonio stopped looking at it and went to bed, and then when he woke up a few hours later, he looked out the window again, and now this light moved towards him at a frightening speed. He slammed the door shut, woke up his brother, who now also saw it. They both watched it from behind closed shutters until suddenly the light seemed to just blink out, and it was gone. For the next nine days, Antonio and his brother tried to figure out where the light could have come from, but they couldn't come up with any answers. Then on October 14th, the light appeared again, now hovering in the distance above a field where Antonio and his brother were working after the sun had gone down to beat the heat that day. It seemed to hover only about a hundred yards above the ground. The light moved from one end of the field to the other, and the brothers approached it to investigate. And whenever they started to get really close to it, 
it would speed away from them to a different part of the field. Antonio said this happened somewhere around 20 times. Then while he and his brother continued to stare at it, the light just suddenly disappeared as if it ha- as it had the first time they saw it, uh, quote, as if it had been turned off by a switch. The next night, on October 15th, 1957, Antonio was working uh, in the fields again alone after dark, trying once more to avoid the heat of the blazing sun. While he was driving his tractor, Antonio claims he saw a red star in the sky. The star approached him, increasing in size until it became a circular or egg-shaped aircraft with a red light in the front and a rotating dome on top. It moved very quickly, was directly above him before he could even think about how to respond. It was so blindingly bright, it completely overpowered his tractor's headlight. The craft ascended, three hook-shaped legs extending out to help it land. Antonio didn't want to stick around to see who was inside. He tried to drive away on the tractor, but the lights and engine suddenly died after he'd only made it a few feet. Now he tried to hop off and run on foot, but he didn't make it very far. A humanoid creature grabbed him by his shoulder. He shook it off, started to run again, but almost immediately three more humanoids appeared and subdued him. Then the four of them began dragging him back to their ship. Antonio described this humanoid creatures as being about five feet tall, wearing gray coveralls and a helm and helmets. All he could see inside their helmets were their small blue eyes. Their coveralls, helmets completely obscured their appearances except for their eyes. Tubes, possibly some kind of breathing apparatuses, ran from the backs of their helmets to the inside of their uniforms. The tubes gray, smaller than a typical garden hose. Antonio didn't see a tank or any kind of box connecting to the tube. These humanoids also wore five-fingered gloves that seemed to restrict their movements. Their uniforms were skin tight, also wore distinct badges the size of a slice of pineapple, as he said, made up of reflective material. And they wore shoes with thick soles and upturned tips, almost like fairy shoes. Antonio was now pulled into their ship by a metallic uh, ladder, rolling ladder. Once inside, he said the door closed so completely he couldn't even see a seam in the metal. Antonio was now led into a brightly lit, empty square room with square lights fixed inside the metal walls. The walls covered in strange red symbols he didn't recognize. Another door then opened and he was taken to another room with a table surrounded by swivel chairs. The furniture made of what appeared to be a white metal. The humanoids now forced him onto the table, spoke to each other in grunts, barks, and yelps, sounds Antonio said he couldn't quite describe or recreate when speaking later to investigators. They were unlike anything he'd ever heard before. Antonio, now stripped naked, covered in some kind of strange gel, he thinks may have been a kind of disinfectant. His humanoid captors then made sure to fold his clothes carefully, as if wanting to preserve them. When they'd finished stripping him, although forceful, he felt they took care not to injure him. Then these humanoids took blood samples, strangely from his chin. He would later show a medical examiner small scar medical examiner small scars matching his story. The aliens next escorted him to another room, left him alone for what he thought was about half an hour to an hour. And all that was in this room was a rubbery gray mattress. Antonio decided to sit on it. He was frightened, but also extremely curious. The aliens had not harmed him yet. He didn't get the feeling they were going to harm him, but he also didn't know what they wanted from him. The next strange event Antonio claims to have experienced was now seeing a colored gas being pumped into the room, making him feel initially very sick and disoriented, but then he felt aroused. He suspected the gas was some kind of powerful aphrodisiac. Another humanoid now entered the room, female, attractive, completely naked, not wearing a protective suit. He thinks the gas pumped into the room may have enabled her to be able to breathe without her helmet apparatus. Antonio claimed she was the same height as the others, had a small pointed chin, high cheekbones, thin lips, slim and narrow waist, wide hips, large thighs, blue cat-like eyes, her hair long and white, her pubic and armpit hair bright red. She didn't look quite human, but human-ish. But Antonio found her to be incredibly attractive. She stared at Antonio, walked towards him, eventually approaching him directly, pressing her body against his. Antonio said he was now completely consumed by a singular desire for her. 
she and Antonio proceeded to have sexual intercourse. Antonio said that she didn't kiss him, but instead nipped him on the chin during a brief and intense act of coitus. Afterwards, he says she smiled at him, rubbed her stomach, and pointed upwards, and he took this to mean she was pregnant and going to raise their baby in some other place. The humanoids gave him his clothes, took him back to the room with the table. He took his time to look around, saw a small box with a glass top that looked somewhat like something like a clock. He attempted to steal this clock-like device as proof of his encounter, but then one of the creatures caught him, took it back, and became enraged. It was the only time he said he feared being attacked, but then the creature never ended up hurting him. Instead, he was escorted off the ship, returned to the field he was working in. He now watched the strange ship where all this allegedly took place take off into the sky. As the craft started to move away, he said its light grew brighter and brighter. The saucer began spinning at an incredible speed. Its light changed from white to red before it suddenly shot off into space, completely vanishing in just a second or two. Antonio left the field to go home now, quickly realized his tractor was ruined, wouldn't start. When he got home, he realized four hours had passed uh, during his encounter. After this abduction, Antonio suffered from nausea, weakness, headaches, burning eyes, odd bruises, and skin lesions. He kept his story private for months until a Brazilian journalist published a piece asking for anyone with alien encounter stories to come forward. When his encounter was published, not surprisingly, a lot of people doubted it. Skeptics believe that Antonio was inspired by a story in a sci-fi magazine called O Cruzeiro. Cruzeiro. Uh, João Martins wrote a series titled Flying Saucers, where he described cases of people in isolated places attacked by small alien beings. Martins had asked his readers to write in with their own experiences, and when Antonio did that, he selected and published his letter, making the story public for the first time. In 1958, Martins paid for Antonio to come to Rio de Janeiro for an exam with Dr. Olavo Fontes at the National School of Medicine of Brazil to try to either legitimize his story or expose it as being a hoax. Dr. Fontes would end up contacting the American UFO Research Group, APRO, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, after examining Antonio and determining that he was, in fact, exposed to a large dose of radiation and was suffering from the effects of radiation poisoning. A report said among Boa's symptoms were pains throughout the body, nausea, headaches, loss of appetite, ceaselessly burning sensations in the eyes, cutaneous lesions at the slight uh, at light bruising, um, which went on appearing for months, looking like small reddish nodules, harder than the skin around them, and protuberant, painful when touched, each with a small central orifice yielding a yellowish thin waterish discharge. The skin surrounding the wounds presented a hyperchromatic violet-tinged area. Dr. Fontes diagnosed all these strange burns as symptoms of radiation exposure, but Antonio had no access to anything radioactive, so how could that be? After receiving Dr. Fontes's letter, APRO decided Antonio's story was too fantastical to publish. But after getting more Brazilian coverage, his story wound up making it into the hands of U.S. and other English-speaking nations' uh, audiences anyway. The story appeared in the April-June 1962 issue of the Brazilian UFO periodical SBESDV, Bulletin, written in English this time by Walter Bueller. This was the first version of the story printed in English. And a lot of people took it somewhat seriously because it was, it was uh, published before the infamous Barney and Betty Hill abduction, the American couple who claimed to have been abducted in New Hampshire in 1961. We covered that alleged encounter in episode 46 of Scared to Death, the Missing Time episode. Following the claims of the Hills, a surge of other encounter stories surfaced, most of them quickly written off as copycats, people trying to get a quick 50 minutes of fame. But many believed Antonio because his story came out before all that. And because... And this is extremely condescending, but this is the reasoning and sources. They also thought that a humble farmer from Brazil basically just wasn't smart enough to make up such an elaborate story. 
adding a bit more possible credibility to his claims, Antonio was able to recall every detail of his abduction without hypnosis over and over again for the rest of his life. He memorized, reproduced the strange red symbols after his abduction, also recreated model ships he claimed looked like the one he saw that night. Antonio would stick with his story, never deviating from it, consistently swearing he was telling the truth for over three decades, all the way until his death in 1991. True or not, Antonio's story still remains one of the most famous alien abduction stories in modern ufology lore. Hmm. Wow. Ah, crazy story. Wild, crazy story. <laughs> this is crazy. Crazy claim. Crazy claim. Ugh. I have a few pictures. Okay. Before you question. This first one is uh, Antonio. Antonio Villas Boas, or Boas, uh, being examined by Dr. Fontes, uh, trying to determine the authenticity of his claims. Uh, and then there's a couple cool illustrations uh, on, a, on a Brazilian site I found regarding this story. This first one, uh, you know, recreating the abduction claim, being carried mm -hmm. away. Uh, this next one, having his blood extracted from his chin with some apparatus by the aliens. I know. What a, what a specific mm -hmm. place to take blood from. Mm -hmm. I've never, I mean, why would why would anyone ever take blood from my chin? I, right. do, I have veins. Right. I just take right. it from there. Uh, here's the blue alien woman Antonio uh, maybe had sex with. Or maybe this is actress and model Rebecca Romaine playing Mystique in one of the X Men movies. <laughs> <laughs> Made me think of that though. Yeah. Now, obviously, this you know this was came out you know way after that. Uh, or maybe he had sex with this woman. Uh, this is Mystique uh, now played by Jennifer Lawrence. Another X rated uh, or X rated X Men oh. movie. Oh yeah, I forgot that she did that. that. They switched. Yeah, that it went from Rebecca Romaine to Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. What a what a um, that suit had to not been fun. To, uh, to wear for hours and hours and hours. One of those like painted on. Oh. I'm sure it was thick and uncomfortable. Well, my guess is, is that it's a latex suit. Oh man, I can't think of the company that does all of the... Like they paint it on, I think, right? The, and they have to take it off of them like every day. Mm. Or do they actually get in it? I mean, it's so skin tight. Well, it could be latex with other layers painted on top of it to oh, create the depth. I gotcha. But there is, oh my God. God, I cannot think of the company. It's in Burbank. Like, I've been there a million times. But they do all... It's not Hollywood effects. It's, this is going to make me crazy. But they do... When I worked on Supergirl, it was, like, where we would go to have all of her, uh, like, Supergirl suits. And they it's where they do, like, the X-Men characters and where they do the mm. Marvel stuff. It's a very specific kind of costume building where you have an illustrator kind of, like, draw up your concept. And then it's rendered in 3D. And then they take it kind of piece by piece and build it out into like, mm -hmm. but the the costume in its entirety doesn't always exist the way you would think it would exist. Yeah. A lot of things happen in post. Cool. cool. Yeah, it's I really yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, fascinating uh, to watch kind of all those things happen. Yeah. I, I love uh, when when characters have to be aged mm -hmm. significantly. Yeah, the, co the combination of what practical effects and then CGI. Mm -hmm. That's crazy how they do that. Yeah, yeah. Very, very, very cool. There was a guy There was a guy I uh, would work out with sometimes, or we'd work out at the same time and talk. I can't remember his name right now, but down in Santa Monica. Mm -hmm. And he worked for some huge, I don't know, if, I, don't, I guess not studio isn't the right term, but like company. Mm -hmm. but, but that's what they would do with CGI. It was all CGI. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me <laughs> some, some Schwarzenegger movie. Was it Schwarzenegger or Stallone? Uh, the one, it might've been both, maybe like an Expendables, maybe there was two different projects. Yeah. But one was Schwarzenegger and I just thought it was so interesting where, you know, they were spending months in post to just go over every single digital frame of, uh, of Schwarzenegger in that entire movie to make mm -hmm. him look younger. Mm-hmm. To just like clean up little, like little details, just to to age Man. them differently. Like wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's possible. It is a, the the ability to do what they can do. Not only is it cool what we get in the end, but the kind of brain that it takes mm -hmm. to 
pay such close attention to such finite details yeah that you don't realize that you're even absorbing as the consumer but if someone broke it down and showed you what it first looked like in the end you'd be like oh wow that's wild cool and interesting (laughs) but when you see it you just take it for what it is Mm -hmm. yeah that's such a fascinating industry Mm -hmm. um well anyways back to the story I think that is the first time I've really heard about like a sexy alien abduction. I yeah, I, I've come across like other claims of people who say that they've like been like part of like mating programs. Yes, but I don't think I've ever heard it like, and she was hot. Like I wanted her. I've I've only heard of them being more forceful. Uh, I, yeah, I've I've heard I've heard of these kind before. The, the one that jumps out is recently on Time Suck. God, oh. I hate that podcast. That show's so dumb. No, yeah, totally. Who that uh, host? He's like so uh, obnoxious. Ooh, let me show you all my funny voices I do. Totally nailed it. Um, <laughs> I can't think of the guy's name uh, or the name of the cult, but it was one we did not that long ago. And it was this French guy who that's kind of like how it was like a his whole cult was started. God dang it. Oh, it's right in the tip of my tongue. I can picture this guy's face so clearly in my mind. These Joe Paisley, articles. do you know what he's talking about? No, I'm trying. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, it's the oh, I can't. I won't think of it. I won't think of it unless I had my phone here and okay. just like see the. But anyway, he started his whole thing was kicked off his cult by claiming that he received visions from these aliens and that they did take him to this other planet and he got to have sex with all these like beautiful women and it was like this whole alien race you know, uh, where they, they wanted him to change the world. They were going to come back. Yes. Mm-hmm, it's always stuff. about having sex with a lot of people. It usually is in cults. It usually is in cults. But he had that alien twist. Raelianism. That is, it's R- Raelianism is the... Like Rail? Like R-A-I-L? R-A-E with the two little dots over it, accents. Oh. Like Raelianism. The Raelians is this race. Claude, Claude something, I think was his name. But uh, the Raelian cult was, and they had churches. They still have some churches around. No He's still around. Yeah. All based on alien sex. They're considered a religion in some places. Yeah, mostly based on alien sex. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I should yeah. say mostly, but that's part of it. You digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, in impregnating the alien, like I, I'm like, oh, he's like, she rubbed her belly and then she mm-hmm. pointed up. <laughs> that was the detail that I was like, mm. <laughs> I mean, not, I not that I all know. of it isn't challenging to wrap your head around yeah. not not that it's you know easy to accept like that this could happen right yeah. but alien abduction freaks me out we know that mm-hmm. this is going to linger with me it's just that specific detail well and i did take out an extra detail that i just it made it too laughable to me but uh maybe part of it was the translation oh sure <laughs> but he said something he's like she pointed up and then he said that he became angered and he said that uh, he realized that she saw him as nothing more than his like than as her like stud pony boy. That is not. Yeah, seriously. There was there was, there was, there was a detail like that. I'm like, I'm gonna for this for the trying to scare you're telling. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that out. That is something. That is something. That is something. So it makes it it raises the level of skepticism. But right. maybe an alien did use him to to be her little stud pony boy. Well, if they if aliens are conducting experiments it would make sense that they would want a stud pony boy yes that they would want a pure form to have Mm -hmm. of their own where they don't have to go to earth and abduct it and now they've got this hybrid like okay if it's part me and you know part alien and part human i mean because they could experiment they could have alien babies and run their experiments on 
purebred aliens. <laughs> but if you want to mix, you know, like know. the yeah. two DNAs together, I don't know. I The alien stuff is so hard for me because it 100% freaks me out. I do lean into there being something else out mm-hmm. there. I have a hard time accepting that we are the only life form that operates at this level. I'm not saying yeah, that yeah, there's yeah. necessarily another Earth that's exactly like us with the exact sure. of, same kind of environment. But I think there are other places possibly with sentient beings mm-hmm. and that makes me uncomfortable. It's the fear of the unknown and what are they doing and are they going to come for us? And Yeah. Uh, I, I like the uh, the theories that aliens are versions of us where way dislike in, way in the future we become like you know uh, post humanoid and just you know, kind of like robotic or at least trans humanoid like further like that and we basically like evolve into these alien things and our technology grows and we're able to explore other planets and we start to colonize other places and this goes out like millions of years mm-hmm. and then at some point we um, can come up with like time travel and we're able to like access not only different places but different times and that future versions of us come back to check on us or do experiments here. Or, or a that's of, there's or a lot of different theories. Or that's already happening. Right. It, well, it would be. I mean, if time works that way, it's so weird where like the future is the past. <sighs> it's all bent around. It makes my head hurt. You guys want to hear my favorite theory? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, this already happened. That's oh. my favorite one. Where we have oh, like, yeah. all the human stuff has already taken place. Mm-hmm. And then just like we're trying to get out of here mm-hmm. and go explore other places. We already did that. And then we're just the leftovers of it happening again billions of years later. And they're already out there, just a different group of us that has now evolved way past us. Oh. Almost like so they know they know where we're yep. at. They're mm-hmm. coming back and being like, "Hey, what's up?" So, <laughs> very, so a variation that doesn't that doesn't require time travel, right? Exactly, like they broke away. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. like a weird loop. Yeah, I'm just kind of stuck. Uh, remnants of us. Times a flat circle. Uh, <laughs> well, all right. Aliens, man. Aliens. 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 Uh, they're out there. You know they are. I think so. I think statistically they sure are. Oh, boy. Maybe Elon Musk will find them. Maybe Elon Musk is one. <laughs> I found out yesterday that our son hates Elon Musk. A lot of people do. Oh, I have to say, I don't know. And I said to Kyler, I go, well, outside of like SpaceX <laughs> and Tesla, I can't really say I know much about him. And that just opened the floodgates for him to give me a whole lecture. Oh yeah, no, he's a he's a, he's an evil capitalist in some people's eyes. I find him inspiring. Kyler said, and I feel like this might even be a quote. Mm, let's see how close I can get. There's no way that you get to be that rich without destroying other people. Mm. And I said, oh, and, and I didn't even know what to say to that. And he said, Warren Buffett is the only exception, but even he has invested in questionable <sighs> oh, companies. Oh, well, and to thought, be so young and idealistic. That's what I thought. I thought, mm. like, oh, sweet baby boy. Oh, get out, get out there and get a job. Oh, sweet boo-boo. Let the world change a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it, though. It, it, yeah. it, it challenges my thinking. Yeah, that's good. To say the least. Oh, baby. All right. Well, an animal attaching to an animal. So I, I just, this story bothered me so much because we have two sweet little puppies, yep. Penny Pooper and Ginger Bell, mm-hmm. and they're so cute and I love them so much. Yeah. But what if some spirit attached themselves to our dog? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. And I don't think it's anything. It's a fascinating concept. I don't think it's anything we've ever explored there. I don't, yeah, I, that, that rings no bells. No bells. I'm having no deja vu. No, like, oh, that sounds familiar. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think people with pets tread lightly here okay. because it, it is. I find that when we explore a new concept, it sits with me longer because I'm I'm sort of accustomed to all the things that we already know: mm -hmm. aliens, black-eyed children, shadow people. So when something new comes along, I'm like, "Well, shit! <laughs> I I didn't think of that. Why Why didn't I think of that? And now I'm even more scared." Mm -hmm. <sighs> all right. Well, let's dig in. Dear Dan, Lindsay, Creeps, and Peepers, Being scared of the dark is probably a popular theme amongst small children. But more often than not, as we age, many of us are lucky to soon grow out of that fear. Unfortunately, I've never been quite so lucky. Me either. To clarify, it isn't the dark that scares me. It's whatever is out there lurking in the dark. I'm not talking about nocturnal animals or bugs or even human monsters. But the inhuman things, I know we're there. I've always been very tuned into the energies of the places I go. Never in my 30 years have I ever enjoyed the vibe of a forest in the early morning hours before the sun comes up or those late hours after the sun has gone down. If I'm being honest, I don't even like living next to a forest. My family and I had always noticed weird things. The sounds of heavy breathing where nothing else should have been. Things crashing through trees, the hair standing up on the backs of our necks, as though something sinister was watching from the shadows of all those trees. It's never been a case of hating the outdoors. Being out in nature has its redeeming qualities, but it's just something about being outdoors in certain spots where the trees or the land or the air around them have soaked up unpleasant memories. So pungent that just walking through it is enough to make my bones tingle with that warning ache. I'm positive the forest beside my childhood home in the small hills of East Texas were haunted, though by what I still have no idea. I never thought it was a good idea to snoop around and find out, especially when I'm way too sensitive and not nearly skilled enough to protect myself. But I've said all this just to preface my actual story. I lived in my childhood home until I was 26, minus the four years I spent in Santa Fe, New Mexico, studying creative writing and contemporary music at university. Uh, I traded one scarred piece of land for another, as the land of enchantment is such an understatement for the life and energy that flows through the valley in New Mexico. Being in Santa Fe, I found that I enjoyed being outdoors again. Those forests in, Santa in the Sandia mountain range rejuvenated my love for nature and being out in the wilderness. And, and because of this, for a while, I almost forgot about the feral and ethereal eeriness that comes with holding court with spirits and other energies of the forest. It was in New Mexico that I started to hear stories of various cryptids and creatures, one of which I truly believe I stumbled upon one night all the way back in Texas in a region that is, it definitely shouldn't have been in. In the last year or so, I've settled into a new life in Austin, Texas. I moved into an apartment complex in Bee Cave, nestled beside a small grove of trees in forest land. I very much enjoyed the trees but only from the safety of the back steps of my apartment building. The times I took my puppy back along the trails in that forest, there was such a weird vibe that I instantly was reminded of the forest on the property of my childhood home. I absolutely never wanted to go near those trees after dark. Whether it was some sort of intuition or just my paranoid ass trying to justify a bad vibe, I have no idea. But what I do know is that you should always trust your gut. It was the week after Thanksgiving 2021, and I had been stuck at home due to losing my dream job after a car accident left me transportationless and dealing with a substantial amount of crappy health issues. 
I was feeling really overwhelmed. So I wonder if I accidentally invited the evil thing in or if it was just easier for it to sneak up on me because my guard was down. I just don't really know. My boyfriend had dropped our puppy off at my apartment, hoping that her company would get my mind off the gloomies while I packed up my things to get ready for the move. We were taking the next step and moving into an apartment together closer to the city. I welcomed the company, even though anytime Charlie was over, she warred with my cats. <laughs> on this particular evening, though, she seemed anxious, too on edge to even notice the cats existed. I watched her pace for an hour or so, just long enough for the sun to go all the way down before I decided she needed a walk. So I got her all harnessed up and we headed out the door, down the stairs and around the side of the building. Everything seemed normal, <clears throat> but I felt it before I saw it. Being used to the unpleasant things seeking me out, my immediate reaction was not to look up. If I don't see it, it's easier to ignore, right? I put all my attention on Charlie, who was standing still and stiff as a board, something very uncharacteristic for an eight-month-old puppy. Her fur was all raised, her tail down, ears back, and the snarl coming out of her mouth was terrifying enough. But watching her, I thought to myself that maybe she saw her coyote friend, the little coyote who lived in my complex, whom Charlie had tried to befriend several times, <laughs> even as I tugged on her leash to protest. But that coyote had always given me the creeps. Its eyes had never looked quite right. Come on, I tried, tugging Charlie back to the safety of the building to the safety of the building's one working parking lot light, but Charlie stood there, hackled and ready to tear into whatever was lurking just beyond the rim of dim light next to the row of cedar trees at the start of the hiking trail. I tried again, but she wouldn't budge. Reluctantly, I decided to be a Darren and look up at whatever this thing was. I should have listened to every sense that told me not to look, that made my stomach and my bones ache. Even all these months later, I still wish I hadn't looked. There, at the edge of the woods, was this thing that I can only describe as a two-tall, white-tailed deer with fur, the color and consistency of a coyote's pelt, its legs much too long, its body not quite the shape of an actual deer's, and its eyes were not eyes, just gaping black voids where eyes should be. It looked as if it were merely parading in the skin of a fucked up deer, its head contorted, cocked to one side the way a dog's does when you offer it a treat or a kind word. But there was nothing kind to say about that thing standing in front of me, just watching. Its long snout lifted, it sniffed the air, and even scared shitless, I could tell it was smiling at me. I gave Charlie one last frantic tug, and she didn't give me time to steady myself before she turned and bolted back to the sidewalk, all the way up the stairs, whimpering and scratching at my door as I fumbled with the keys. I got us inside, turned on every light in my apartment, and sat on my bed while Charlie faced the windowless wall to my back, the wall next to the woods, as she growled and whimpered for the rest of the night. At some point, I eventually fell asleep. Sometimes, I really wish I hadn't. Sometimes when I catch my dog staring at me, she looks just like that damn coyote, with her eyes seeming just not quite right. It's the same stare that that thing in the woods had, hollow, haunted. I know my doggo is not that thing, but sometimes the way she watches me makes my stomach turn. My boyfriend jokes about this sometimes, but the truth is I don't find it funny. Did the thing in the woods attach itself to my dog? Did it follow me all the way to Austin? Was it all a sick trick of the dim light and all Charlie and I really saw that night was just a lone, lost deer? 
I know not to use this term lightly, but sometimes I feel that what I saw was not a deer, nor a coyote, or even though Austin is nowhere near the region where these things thrive, I have to wonder if we, can t- if we encountered that night a skinwalker. But if it was... I don't know. I have to hope that we got away, even if now, all the way in the city, I still feel the pull of those trees and the cold, dark energy of the thing in the woods. Skylar. P.S. I really enjoyed the Annabelle shout-out where you guys so confidently said my name was Schuler and proceeded to say it was such a good name. Truly the highlight of 2022 so far, but sadly, it's pronounced Skylar, which isn't (laughs) as cool in my opinion. But seriously, you made my whole day. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's the way it's spelled is like S C H. Right, right. That was my bad. Schuler, 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 Schuler. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I wrote down in the middle of that story. I'm like Skinwalker, but then they like address that at the end. But that's yeah. what I was thinking that whole time is you know like especially those uh, animals. You know like like coyotes or coyotes as I call them. I know. Um, I go in and out of coyote, coyote. Mm-hmm. Just regional. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, and then the deer with the elongated legs and stuff. That all you know is. Those details, you know, mm-hmm. will, will show up in, in, a, in a fair amount of like lore around skinwalkers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, um, but I've never heard of that thing like jumping from. I wonder if he just like spooked him, and then like reading like that kind of stuff into the dog, or I guess maybe is the dog did the skinwalker get in the dog? Is it is it not a dog, but uh, like like his dog, but like a, but a skinwalker? And I wonder what happened to the dog. I mean, it sounds like they still have the dog. Yeah, right, right. Sounds like uh, so the but, dog must not be. But well, but she says that the dog will like look at her weird now, and the dog now makes her uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think what throws me in this story is it's like okay, Skylar has always been uncomfortable around the woods for whatever reason, trusting gut instinct, right? Yeah. And so there's that element. Then the dog, you know, befriended a coyote who also. Skylar feels like that there's something up with that coyote. Like that coyote looks right. at me weird. That coyote makes me uncomfortable. And it doesn't sound like uncomfortable in the way of it could be a feral animal that attacks me. Just like, what is happening there? Why does that thing look at me so weird? So did the skinwalker, yeah. let's call it that, is it able to put itself into multiple places? Like, was it does it attach itself to the coyote and to her dog? Like, is it can it project itself into multiple animals, places, people? Uh, I, I don't, I mean, according to the lore of, and this is just me pulling this out of my ass right now, just from what I remember, mm-hmm. I, I had, I don't remember hearing that. I've always thought of them as like a shape shifter mm-hmm. where they can shift their shape, but not like project their essence into another creature. But it, did it do that? Did it become the coyote and then it goes yeah, back? Well, yeah, it could have been like the dog yeah. and then back. It could be like, maybe maybe like one point you're seeing it as the coyote. I mean, that would follow the lore. Yeah. One point you're seeing it present itself as the coyote. Uh, another moment you're seeing it, it, it present itself as a deer, but the, whatever this thing is wouldn't be able to then jump into your dog. How does a skinwalker come to life, come to exist? Uh, the legend, I think most of them go back to like like witchcraft, where basically like a shaman mm-hmm. uh, gets into the dark side mm-hmm. of, of the witchcraft and cross instead of doing like white magic, mm-hmm. they get into like black magic. And that's one um, version. And then through that, they kind of become cursed mm-hmm. and they become this, uh, you know, crazy bloodthirsty creature that is like able to turn in in and out of animals. Hmm. Um, and then there's some other thing that revolves around, I want to say cannibalism, like old tales of cannibalism, where if you eat the flesh of like a member of your tribe, you become cursed and become mm. almost like almost like a vampire werewolf kind of lore yeah. where you become this creature and it's not a good thing. Like you, you've just, uh, you're living out this, this cursed existence. Mm-hmm. But again, this is me pulling all this out of my ass from like memory. Yeah. Um, 
I was trying to consider the option that that skinwalker was trying to lure these animals in as either a sacrifice or a way for itself to live on in these animals. Or like to pass on into another animal? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't recall that, but I mean, who knows? Who knows? So it seeds, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, again, though, I, I don't recall it jumping from one to the next, but then there's that angle you presented where it's like, what if it's just something attached to this mm -hmm. one thing and then jumps to the next? And I will say uh, coyotes, too. Man. They have, their eyes are very weird, just in general. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was uh, hiking with Monroe, that was the first time in the wild I came around a corner mm -hmm. and saw one pretty close. <sighs> and it just stared at me. You know, they're curious creatures and they're little predators. You know, yeah. they're sizing you up. Um, they're not dangerous unless they're rabid. One of them, they're, if you're a full-grown, full-size, you know, normal-sized human, uh, adult, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, like if you're a bigger person. Yeah. They're so much smaller. They're not a big animal. Yeah. And uh, they don't to me at least, they don't seem scary at all, but they're very feral and they have those feral eyes where it's like, like dart around really fast. Yeah. It's like, you know, like the dogs that get so domesticated, they can afford to be like little goofballs and sleeping. They're so removed through so many generations from having to actually fend uh, for themselves and use their wits. Yeah. But a coyote, it's like, it has to be smart or it's going to die. It mm -hmm. has to hunt. It's, it's, it's also hunted. And yeah, their eyes are just um, so very intense. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking about Penny and Gigi. Penny's so smart. Not that Gigi's not. Gigi's just a different kind of. She's a little goofball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She got sure. stoner eyes. Yeah. So she's uh she's slightly baked all the time. <laughs> I love it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if I took them on a walk yeah. or on a hike, and then felt uncomfortable on said walk hike, yeah, and then we came home and Penny's eyes didn't seem quite right anymore. I know, that would be creepy. Or even Gigi. Like, if all of a sudden Gigi was really alert, because mm -hmm. she is a nut. That dog is nuts. Yeah. And it's like, if she was suddenly, like, very intense staring at me, or if Penny just... If Penny is like far too close to feeling human to begin with, yeah, Penny the way does that she stare us intensely is, is because she's trying to uh, hyp hypnotically suggest to us that we give her food. Yes, Penny is food obsessed. Yeah, but it's very sweet, and you know, it it almost feels like a toddler who's trying to learn how to speak but can't speak it. Yeah, like she's yeah. really she's trying to ask you for something. But if that went to something that felt aggressive, or mm -hmm. because never ever ever have Penny or G ever felt anything other than like, so sweet. Yeah, they don't feel threatening no but what if that shifted demanding but not threatening yeah 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 no that's uh that would be terrifying mm -hmm. that would and, be terrifying and i think i would jump to where skylar jumps where it's like okay where were we because i would immediately start to think like illness like did you get bit by something are yeah. you okay yeah. you know where were we and then if i took a paranormal route 100 percent, i would think like oh my god mm -hmm. did something out there for like not did it get you? Right. I mean, Penny and Gigi are safe because I've attached crystals to their collars. <laughs> she actually has. Uh, truly. Uh, it's so funny. Yep. They have they have little crystals on their on their collars now. Yeah, Penny's got a tiger's eye, <laughs> and Gigi has. I think she has obsidian. Monroe and I picked them out. Cute. Mm -hmm. They're pretty cute. Pretty cute. They got little. They got little. Um... Penny ripped hers off. I had to put it back on. She was. She's clearly on Team Dan. <laughs> They got little guys. Dang it! What do you call your jewelry? Your uh, doodads. Doodads. They got little doodads. Little mm -hmm. doodads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, you ready for one more before we get out of here? I am. Okay. Uh, this story a little bit spoopy, yes, but also a little bit sweet. And I know we like to mix these in. Yeah. This this young girl she goes on a ghost hunt just for fun and encounters something. Okay. Uh, and and perhaps it's someone she knows or maybe not. But it got me thinking about um, you know. When someone dies, it's like, 
who would protect me? Who would haunt me? Who would play tricks on me? You know, of the people that I love in my life as, yeah. as they pass on, like who would come back? And then it sent me on this brain game of like, kill one, marry one. I know there's children that listen to the show, <laughs> but kill one, marry one, fuck one. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what a funny game to play with spirits. Like who would, who is it? that would, it, would, it would be like, uh, haunt. What, okay, I wrote this down. It was like, well, you, you could play like a little game of like protect haunt or play tricks okay okay so here's your three people yeah i want to know who would protect you who would haunt you and who would play tricks on you okay okay here's who i'm giving you chad daniels okay jeff wilson your sister donna and it's and it's protect haunt or what was the third play tricks play tricks um i think that uh jeff would protect he's a sweet guy uh-huh my sister donna she's sweet too but i would say um, play tricks. Oh, and maybe Chad would haunt. Oh, okay. I thought Donna would haunt you because I thought that she would find I know, I, I was more. On the edge there. I, I feel like she would find more enjoyment out of haunting you. That would be her trick. Her trick would be to yeah, haunt yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I thought what a funny game. That is a fun game. Mm -hmm. So we can switch it up. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive into the story. Hey, Dan and Lindsay. I'm a new listener who is still listening through the episodes from the beginning, but I have a great story for you. Back in 2015, about six months after my mother passed away, my mother's friend invited me to, to Fort Mifflin in Pennsylvania to go ghost hunting. We had gone a couple times with her before, so it wasn't out of the ordinary. And I decided, sure, why not? This paranormal team had been there many times before, and really nothing had happened. When we got there, we split into three groups, two groups of four and one group of three. I was in the group of, of three with, a family, with our family friend Lisa and another girl my age. I feel like at the time I was a pretty fearless 19-year-old, so I'd led the way into an underground ammunition bunker. We set up a light motion sensor at the entrance. We took our time testing it. We walked in front of it over and over, but it would not work. No matter what we did, we, no matter what we, did, we could not get it to work. Lisa and I set up a grid and cameras. Everything was fully charged and working fine, but then not 15 minutes in, everything just died. No cameras were working, the grid was off, and the motion sensor would just come on despite there being no motion. It was quite a shock when all of a sudden, everything then came back on. But it didn't come fully back on. It was very dimly lit, like it was half-powered. I was leaning against a wall across from the other two people in my group when we all saw the silhouette of a large man walk up the wall in my wow. direction. We ran away quickly, leaving everything in the bunker behind and called for help. The other groups came quickly to help us grab our gear. They were teasing us, but by the end of the night, we were the only ones who had stayed in that bunker. We continued making our way throughout the above ground areas, investigating. Eventually, we decided to what was once the solitary confinement. This was literally a hole in the ground. There was a wall with a hole so soldiers could give prisoners food in there as well. As we walked closer, I started to slow down. Lisa stopped and looked over at me and asked, You felt it too? And I nodded. We decided to stay above ground. We had a white noise box going in an attempt to record anything we encountered as we waited outside of the solitary confinement. I was staring at the barracks we were going to sleep in. We had left all the lights on. Those lights now illuminated someone in one of our windows. I motioned at Lisa and then pointed at the person in the window. They started to sway and wave at us while the box suddenly started saying, die, over and Jesus. over again. 
we decided to investigate and began making our way towards the barracks. As we got closer and closer, the figure began to back up. It eventually took off running. Sort of. We noticed it had no legs, so it floated more than it ran. Freaked out, we radioed the other groups to come back to the barracks. We left and went to a spot where we could watch the barracks from a distance. Staring at the window for about five minutes, nothing happened. I quickly looked away and then back again, and it was back. And the box again began to say die over and over again. We decided we needed to make our way to to another group, but I suddenly couldn't move. I felt stuck in that spot. Lisa said she could see something lingering around us. We started to chant the Lord's Prayer, and it was only then that I felt like I could move again. The rest of the night was rather uneventful, except that I woke up freezing cold and unable to move. My stomach started going numb, like when you've lied on a limb for a long period of time. I was terrified and unsure of what to do. Now, where does my mom come into all of this? Throughout the whole night, we'd been getting another voice on the recordings. It was a woman that sounded exactly like my mom. (laughs) She kept saying, Fred, which was my mom's nickname for me. This would then be followed by the distinct smell of cigarettes, which made sense because my mom smoked a lot. As I lied there paralyzed in fear, I smelled cigarette smoke all around me. I relaxed and my stomach went back to normal. I knew it was my mother. I've not been back to Fort Mifflin since, but I have felt my mother's presence more than once. I'm a huge fan and listen to you guys at work where my coworkers get to see all the faces I make while listening. <laughs> Kirsten. Uh, thanks, Kirsten. So so was mom the voice going, die? I die, don't know. Die. Or, or was her, I, I think more that the mom was protecting her. Ah. That's like my take is that like they're, you know, investigating this space. Yeah. And... But like couldn't like quite get anything. Like mm-hmm. why was, you know, when they were in the ammunition bunker, why were yeah. things not working? But if w- what she doesn't say in that moment is like, but I smelled cigarette smoke or, right. you know, I heard my mom's voice. You know, she doesn't reveal that detail until the end. So it's a little challenging to know at what points her mom shows up. But if she was there on and off the whole night, yeah, kind of feels like mom's telling her like, hey, go home. <laughs> and you say that like haunted, like trick, you know, earlier, I think it just got my mind going in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so then I, just, I, was, I was like, maybe does mom have a really dark sense of humor? I mean, that would and- be funny. <laughs> She's like, gotcha. I mean, yeah, to, to, to scare your kids, you know, from beyond oh the grave to actually like, I mean, that's a, that's a, something I don't think I've thought about before where it's like a friendly spirit and maybe even like a, you know, a, a parental spirit mm-hmm. that's up in the attic, you know, scratching on the My walls God. and like walking along the floor, like just trying to tear and just thinking it's hilarious. I mean, if we get that opportunity to do that to our kids, I'm down. <laughs> I just yeah. want to also be able to tell them at some point, JK. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Just you me. You don't want to leave them just with that. No. But, uh, yeah. Oh, that would be also so scary if like, okay, because, you know, I hear stuff in our house all the time and it could just be the age of our house. I'm mm-hmm. really trying not to give yeah, into settling, it. settling, yeah. Yeah, I'm really trying not to give into it. We do have a crack in our ceiling that continues to get bigger and bigger. So I'm like, okay, it's got to be the house settling. It's got to be the house settling. Um or the swings that we've decided to hang up in our living room. But I'm like, okay, like if I don't get into it, but if we have kids and we haunt them and we scare them and it's super fun, but then we get, we leave them a note. Like if I'm on the receiving end of that, I don't know what's worse. Sounds that I'm not sure about that I can yeah. dismiss or a handwritten note from my dead parents saying, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. The reveal of the trick might be the scariest part of all. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun for us. Yeah. But like, not as fun for them. man, mm-hmm. oh, handwritten note. 
from a dead person. Yeah, if you could do that. And and that, and that would be so interesting. Uh, I don't think I've heard that either where, you know, you see like, you know, there's writing on the mirror and like the, the, uh-huh. the fog. Stuff. But I, I can't remember coming across a story and I'm sure there's one out there, probably several, where the person reading it not, you know, like like recognizes the handwriting, right? Like where somebody has very specific handwriting, which oh would be more, especially that would be more common uh, 20, 30 years ago, and then before, mm-hmm. where people wrote things by hand much more often than text now, right? Where you'd actually, you know, see someone's writing often enough to recognize their handwriting and be able to discern it from somebody else's. I mean, I think that we've prepared ourselves to leave creepy handwritten from the dead notes to our kids because we do a lot of cards in our family. Mm -hmm. So I think they would know our handwriting. Okay. So little did we know we were preparing ourselves for this. (laughs) For this big prank. We're ready. We can do it. (laughs) Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first for our spooby shout out or Annabelle shout outs? I'll go first today. Uh, I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. We appreciate appreciate it greatly. Uh, Janice Dickman, Kayla Davis, I worked really hard not to comment on Janice's name. It's a great name. No comments. Janice knows all the things. Oh, honey. I'm sure. Uh, Grady Nardini, Jacob Barnes, Chris Schmidt, Thomas Squires, Michelle McClellan, uh, Brianne, uh, Brianne Sparks, Alicia, man, Alicia Fisher, Chance Presley, Amber S., Heather Dunn, Tina Trujillo, Sue Hancock, Dirty Texan, <laughs> uh, Rachel Hilliard Brown, Leslie Gonzalez, Bill Matier, Casey Maine, Kimberly Sullivan, Chris Vickers, Marcus Myers, Stephen Konopasik, Shai Mizrachi, and Spencer Earnhardt. Do you think it's Trejo? Didn't I say Wait, wait, wait. Where's what Trejo? Uh, somebody's last name you said. Trujillo. T R U J I L O. Trujillo. Oh, with a U. Okay. Yeah. I, was just, yeah. I make up spellings in my brain when you're like reading things, mm. even though I've typed that out. I'm like, well, maybe. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to donate to the Halo Dental Network this month. Alexander Jonathan Harris, Leanne Lancaster, Autumn DuPauls, Moondust381, Julia Fryle, Mitch Gerards, Clarissa Ald, Miranda Baumgartner, April Opper, Stephanie Prim, oh man, Pribernow, Shane Terrio, Megan Taylor, Kendall, Susie Unicorn, very, that's a good one, TJ Hill, Nicholas Hadges, Kelly Hennings, Kristen Reynolds, Dean Bushong, Ashley Hedrick, Shane Wintress, Vanessa Kim, Megan Fitzsimmons, Kelly Habib, and Amy Lorio. LaRue? I don't know. Lorio, I'm going with. Okay. Okay. And just a couple spoopy shout outs this week. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Mm. Uh, to Nav from Kim, congrats on becoming a dad. Aw. To Jackson from Karina, happy birthday. And guess what? What? It's your birthday. It's my, it's my birthday. It's your birthday. Yay. So I literally wrote it down. To Dan from Lindsay, happy 45th. Okay, so I have a special way to celebrate. One second, mm-hmm. please. Thank you. Okay. Oh, now, you, hit, you hit something back there. I did. Okay. Now, here's the deal. Huh? I know that you're on a diet. Yeah. And you're not eating cake. Yeah. But I really wanted to give you a cake. Okay. But I knew you would be so mad if I gave you a treat. Well, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be furious. I just wouldn't eat very much of it. But you, yeah. You'd be super annoyed. You'd say, I was sabotaging you. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> so I got you this special cake. Oh, that's a very cute cake. Here you go. Slice it, buddy. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the perfect cake for you in your new diet. Yeah. Oh, what is this? Is this wooden blocks? Yeah. What is 
It doesn't come apart. Sure does. It does? Sure, grab a oh. piece, buddy. Get in there. Ah. Eat it. Get the oh, frosting. Oh, I see. There's like little um, uh, Velcro sticking it. I thought I was going to have to tear this thing apart. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, yes. I just thought, you know, I, I didn't want to have to hear about it. Like, Joe doesn't really eat cake. Oh, okay. Logan lives on candy, so I don't need to give him any cake. But he doesn't want candy anymore. I heard him t- t- being like, easy on the candy. You've been, you've been sabotaging him. You've been well, putting too much candy around him. Well, first it was like, hey, Lindsay, we're out of candy. And now he's like, maybe easy on the candy. Well, also fans send him candy. Like, like, <laughs> well, not him, but us, like collectively. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, we like thumb through it. And it's like, for me, if it's not open, I won't eat it. Mm-hmm. But there's that open bag of like the chocolate, all the chocolate things, like, you know, Almond Joys and oh, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Every time I walk by it, I'm like, use your willpower. <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. So mm-hmm. wooden cake, that's what you get. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, uh, great cake. Thank you. Yeah. Is it delicious? Delicious. Was it moist? Oh, it's moist. Uh, happy 45th birthday. Yeah. Young I, man. I know as I rec- recorded this earlier, I got I got a few weeks left. But um, yeah, 45 coming up. I like it. 40- yeah. I'm oh, feeling good about 45. Almost 45 looks good on you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, anno- a- it's annoying that you become more handsome as you age. It's a thing that men do that's real frustrating. You become better looking as you age. <laughs> I think so. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's nice. My dad had those nice things to say about you. That recently. is true. Yeah, he thinks you're uh, aging very, very well. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's our show. Uh, thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for the work on social media, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thank you to Joe Paisley for producing and directing. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Uh, good job, Heather, trying to find that story I, re- I did. Uh, t- <laughs> she was so mad. We texted the whole next day. She was like, I still feel so dumb. <laughs> Thanks to uh, book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number three coming up. Uh, saw the artwork for that that Logan did, and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding my first story today, and to Olivia Lee for finding the second Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show in addition to listening. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see the pictures from the shows, uh, more content at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, full of horror lovers. Thank you to Luz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog ad-free and more, and enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye! If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 